Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, to better understand the significance of this interaction that we hear about today, that Jesus has with the woman at the well in in our gospel reading, we, we must first recognize, of course, that all of this was indeed taking place in that region called Samaria, a town of Samaria called Sychar. And Samaria is that region uh, that was sandwiched between Judea in the south and and Galilee in in the north. And Samaria was that remnant of the northern kingdom of Israel from the Old Testament, which had fallen some 700 years earlier to the Assyrians. Now, when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, they they exiled many of the Israelites, carried them away, and then brought in people from other countries in order to produce a, a mixed population, less likely to unify, to band together, and to ultimately revolt against the Assyrians. That was their strategy. But what this meant was that a lot of the people that were in Samaria were now made up of a variety of ethnicities and religions and the worship of different gods. And so the Jews from Judea, they they looked down upon them for that. But there was even more conflict between the, the Judeans and the Samaritans. When the Judeans were taken into exile as well and then allowed to return, the first thing they did was to rebuild the walls and then rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which had been destroyed. And the book of Ezra tells us that the Samaritans arrive in Jerusalem one day and they want to help, except the Judeans want nothing to do with them. And so the Samaritans then made it their sole purpose to to frustrate and delay and even stop the rebuilding efforts. And thus the bad blood between the two groups deepened all the more. So it's quite remarkable then that centuries later, Jesus, a Jew, is speaking to a woman who is a Samaritan. It's remarkable that he even travels through Samaria. Often what the Jews would do when they needed to get between Judea and Galilee is that they would go purposefully all the way around Samaria because they didn't want to interact with the Samaritans at all. But not Jesus. Jesus goes straight through it. Which is why he was there in a town of Samaria in the middle of the day, talking to this woman at the well. And not only is what Jesus is about to say amazing, but the fact that he was speaking to her at all is amazing. I mean, he should have just simply not talked to her. That would have been the more socially acceptable thing to do. Or to avoid her. Or to go someplace else. Keep on walking. Or maybe even chastise her. Tell her that she shouldn't be there when he's there. He could have done all of those things and everyone else would have thought that that would have been more acceptable than what he ended up doing. Jesus asked her, give me a drink. She, of course, tries to help Jesus out a little bit. Acknowledging for him, you know, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan and you're asking me for a drink of water. Jesus has just committed a social blunder, a breach of conventional norms. It wasn't appropriate. How embarrassing for Jesus. Maybe he didn't know she was a Samaritan or maybe he didn't understand this thing that that Jews aren't supposed to interact with Samaritans. After all, for any self-respecting Jew, this person was an outsider. And and this was kind of an awkward situation that Jesus now found himself in. And the woman, it seems, seems like she's trying to break this to Jesus gently. Maybe you yourself have been in a situation where you felt like an outsider. And it couldn't help but land you in a socially awkward situation. 
Maybe you found yourself in a new uh, social group or at a new school or in a new workplace or a member of a new community club or some sort like that. And, and so you realize then the hard way that you don't actually know the way that they do things, even though maybe you thought at first that you did. I think a lot of people might feel this way when they visit a new church for the first time. They're trying hard not to fit in and create any kind of social blunder. Or for those of you who have traveled to different countries, maybe you found yourself unaware of of social customs that are prevalent in different countries. For instance, did you know that in Malaysia, you need to make sure to point at something with your thumb like this because pointing with your index finger is considered rude. Or when you're in Japan, and you're eating food, you should be noisy and slurping noodles because to eat quietly is considered offensive. Being quiet means you're not enjoying the food that has just been prepared for you. So very quickly, as you can see, if you're, if you're traveling, you can very, very easily find yourself as the outsider. One famous story in my family growing up comes from the days when my dad, who was a physician in the army, was stationed in Würzburg, Germany. Würzburg is halfway between Nuremberg and and Frankfurt. And I was only a small child at the time, so even though I was there, I don't really have a recollection of this. But I called my mom this week and verified the details. In Würzburg, there's this famous palace called the Würzburg Residence which is this huge, ornate, Baroque-style palace with statues and and artwork and gardens and a grand staircase, all built in the 1700s. And its claim to fame is that Napoleon Bonaparte would would occasionally stay there for stretches of time. And, And so you can go there to this day and see his bedroom with all the original furniture, the bed, the side tables, everything. Well, as my family was taking a tour of this palace, three young children in, in tow, myself, my older sister, and my older brother, my older sister, who only would have been about two or three at the time, decided to hang back from the tour group, go under the boundary rope, and take full advantage of this beautiful bed in the room. After all, it looked perfect for jumping on. Once my parents realized where she was, they were mortified, of course, and they tried to straighten everything up so that no one would know that anything had happened. But isn't that just like the typical American stereotype traveling in Europe? I'm sure at that moment, my my parents, more than all others, felt like outsiders caught in a socially awkward situation. I'm sure that's how the Samaritan woman felt with Jesus. How pronounced the feelings must have been to know that, that Jews and Samaritans each considered the other the outsider, but Jesus was forcing this situation. But if you think about it, Jesus was always trying to connect with the Samaritans. This wasn't the first time, and it certainly wouldn't be the last. Jesus was trying to connect with the Samaritan. Jesus was always trying to connect with the person, especially the one who was considered the outsider. If we look at Luke chapter 17, for example, we're told that there were 10 men with leprosy, and Jesus sends them off because he's healed them, and they need to go show themselves to the priest to be checked out. But only one comes back and and falls at the feet of Jesus to give him thanks. It was a Samaritan who did that. Or or Jesus talks about the good Samaritan, this parable. There's a man who's been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, and and, and he was robbed. And and so you have a priest and a Levite come by, and those are the people you would expect might help him, but, but they just pass him by having nothing to do with him. But it's a Samaritan who stops and cares for him. How shocking it would have been to hear that. 
Or in Luke chapter 9, Jesus was once again in Samaria doing ministry, which was uh, surprising to say the least. And a Samaritan village rejects Jesus, refuses to allow him to enter. And so James and John, ever the disciples, uh, uh, the sons of thunder they're called, they say to Jesus, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Seems like the thing to do, especially for a bunch of ungrateful Samaritans. But Jesus rebukes James and John. And later on, we find out why. Later on in Luke's gospel, and then again in the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus tells the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus intended for the gospel to go to the Samaritans as well. That's what Jesus started with his own example in his, in his own ministry, connecting with those who seem like the outsiders, and he intended for it to continue with the apostles, that even though the city had once rejected him, that they would have the opportunity to be redeemed, to know what it is that Jesus offers. So what does Jesus offer? Well, he offers what he offered to the Samaritan woman, he offers living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? In other words, the woman was asking Jesus, who do you think you are? First of all, you have no regard for the social contract that we have between Jews and Samaritans. And second of all, <clears throat> you're acting like some kind of big shot that has something called living water to give? I don't think so. Jesus continues, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman misunderstands yet again. And so she asks for this water so that she doesn't have to come to the well anymore and draw water out of it. And so that's when Jesus tells her, go and call your husband and come here. Well, she doesn't have a husband, per se. She's been with many men, and the one that she's with now isn't her husband. And so her sin comes out. And what follows then is, is what some people think is, is this woman's attempt not to talk about her sin, to try to avoid uh, uh, dwelling on it. But I think if you look at it, it's just this woman continuing to get stuck on the fact that Jesus is a Jew talking to her, a Samaritan. She says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet, but our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And again, she's making this distinction that Jews and Samaritans are different. In other words, even if you have living water, Jesus, to give me, we worship in different places and in different ways. So regardless of what Jesus was telling her, she was still hung up on the division that she perceives to be there. That in Jesus' presence, she can't help but feel like an outsider. And we can sometimes get hung up on divisions too, can't we? What is it that divides us? What situations with other people do you try to avoid? Or who do you try to avoid? Do not have to spend with time with someone in particular, perhaps. 
You know as well as I do that in our day and age, it seems like we are very easily divided by political parties or by cultures or ethnicities or socioeconomic levels or, or lifestyles or ages or types of work or jobs. With whom do you not want to have anything to do with? With whom would you rather walk a different way on the other side of the road so that you don't run into a particular person? With whom in the place do you go to school, or the place where you work, or the place where you live, and the neighbors that you have? With whom are you divided? And it seems like you can't help but fixate upon that division. So you actually turn it into an excuse why you're divided, and you can't do anything with this person. You can't even act like a Christian ought to act toward them in terms of your love and your service, and maybe even your forgiveness. As we heard about this past Wednesday in our Lenten series, Forgiving Others. What is it that divides you from another person? What is it that you see as a socially awkward situation and makes you to feel like an outsider or even worse, end up, you end up making someone else feel like they are the outsider? Jesus never worried about socially awkward situations. He never worried about what others considered the proper or improper way to interact and connect with other people. He never worried about those who are considered insiders versus outsiders. Jesus goes and eats with the tax collectors. He touches the unclean, the sick, and the dead. He heals them and raises them up in life. He receives worship from former prostitutes. He even blesses the little children. And he gets in trouble for doing all of this. The religious leaders and the teachers of the law are upset with him because he spends time with, quote-unquote, sinners. But Jesus doesn't see those divisions, at least not the same way we do. Yes, he sees everyone's sin, but he sees it as the opportunity to bring them living water. The forgiveness of sins and the healing of their soul. The water that can bring even the worst of sinners a spring welling up within them to eternal life. That's why Jesus starts talking about with this woman her sin. He's not interested in bringing it up to divide her from him. He's not trying to make her feel badly. Instead, he's interested in bringing her what he knows will draw her to him. He knows ultimately what she needs, which is his love and his forgiveness and his life. And Jesus is bringing living water, especially for the outsider. Let us not forget that moment in world history when the world saw someone as the biggest outsider. And it took place during Holy Week at the cross. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and they mocked him and beat him. And they whipped him and the whips they had had little shards of metal at the end to rip skin. And Jesus was so weak and so beaten down that he couldn't even carry his cross all the way up the hill. And then they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross and they lifted him up for all the world to see. And any paintings or pictures or depictions that you've seen of Jesus with a garment or clothing on is just an attempt at modesty because we know from history that the Romans crucified people naked to increase how humiliating this would have been for them, to show how much of an outsider Jesus had become. But in that moment, Jesus was doing all that he could to become sin 
for us. He, he was becoming the outsider of outsiders. He was taking upon himself all the sins of the world, your sins and my sins, everything that divides us from our heavenly father that makes us outsiders from God. And Jesus became the outsider in our place. And so from the cross, Jesus was pierced with a spear and, and water and blood flow mingled down. Jesus was becoming quite literally the source, the spring of living water that he now causes to well up inside of us. Jesus on the cross is the source of living water that he was talking to the Samaritan woman about, that he had been preparing her to be able to see and receive, and all those in her town because of her to receive, that Jesus gives living water for the outsiders. Outsiders like her and outsiders like each and every one of us. You see, Jesus is there for us when sin causes us to feel like outsiders in this world. And Jesus forgives us when we unnecessarily cause divisions and make others feel that way. Jesus has forgiven all of our sin. And at the cross, he became sin so that he might take it away from us. And by his suffering... And by his death and by his resurrection, Jesus now gives us living water that is welling up inside of us to eternal life. In his name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.